This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The development of Ontario's Green Belt continues to be a political mess. The Ford government did reverse on housing initiatives. That was after serious conflict of interest allegations surfaced. Now municipalities are expressing their own frustrations. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Michelle has more on this story. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, what are municipalities asking for? What are they so ticked off about? Bottom line is literally that. They want some money. <laughs> this Greenbelt scandal for the Ontario government is, if, for those who are opposed to this administration, the gift that keeps on giving. Because this has been a scandal that has absolutely dominated this government's agenda for the past several months. We've had an RCMP investigation launched over it. We've had two scathing reports from various watchdogs in the province, including the Auditor General. And now what we have is a couple of municipalities who were the most affected by the the swap, the land swaps that the government had intended to move forward with. And they're now coming to the government and saying, hey, we put a lot of time and resources into trying to make this happen for you guys when this was your plan. And we, we want now we need to be compensated for all the time we have because our taxpayers are on the hook. Yeah, time time is a flat circle these days, Michelle. It's kind of hard to sort of keep track of like True. the linear the linear points here. But there were months between the announcement of this policy and the opening of this land, and then the reversing of tracks after the Auditor General and the Ethics Commissioner both released those scathing reports they referred to. So there was quite a bit of time here where municipalities were being given their marching orders with, with the possibility of being penalized if they didn't march. Absolutely right. I, I don't have the timeline in front of me, although my colleagues, uh, Alison Jones and Liam Casey, who you should be following if you watch and do Ontario politics at all, um, they've been tracking this from the start and I don't have their timeline in front of me right now, but I think it's been going on for at least a year and there was mm-hmm. a lot that needed to be, to be going on there. And this is the kind of stuff that the municipalities want to be reimbursed for. Now, I'll, I'll just for some background, it's only two at this moment that are asking for money. Uh, Pickering and Grimsby, which are both sort of Toronto, greater Toronto area municipalities for those outside of Ontario. Uh, Pickering is the one that wants the most back. They're saying they spent about $360,000 on things like environmental impact assessments, financial assessments, consulting fees, all the kind of things that you would be normally doing when you have land involved and and, and prospects of building housing on said land. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are the kind of costs that they want to be reimbursed for. Grimsby, too, is asking for money on similar kinds of grounds for similar sorts of issues, but to a smaller degree. Uh, They passed a motion on their town council, and they're asking for about $82,000 in the province back. Which, by the way, like at the end of the day, not huge swaths or sums of money. But again, it's money It's money out the pocket for these municipalities, which are oftentimes bossed around by the province. So any any response from the province so far? I know this sort of brambled up in the last couple of days. Yeah, no, uh, there has been no indication yet as to how they want to deal with those requests. So that we've been trying to get those answers without a whole lot of success so far. Uh, but you're right. that These are things that the municipalities would have to do at the province's behest. And it's also worth pointing out too, that politically speaking from the mayor's perspective it's probably a good look to be trying to push for 
provincial money on taxpayer grounds. Yeah. They're saying these are these are tax dollars that got spent. We need them back. Yeah, tax dollars that, that to a certain degree uh, got wasted. So yeah, definitely, the, definitely they would definitely want those uh, <laughs> want those ones back. Okay, let's go from Ontario to something a little bit more regional here. Although certainly it impacts the province of Ontario, St. Lawrence Seaway job action. Workers on the St. Lawrence Seaway have walked off the job. Negotiations between workers and employers hit an impasse over the weekend. Michelle, what's at issue in this job action? As per usual, it's wages is the main sticking point here. Uh, the the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation is saying that the Unifor workers who who help move cargo through that G, that Seaway network uh, are already making well above inflationary weights. So their 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 salaries are currently about ten percent higher than inflation, and the union as is the pattern that we've talked about on this panel before and that we've seen several times with other labor negotiations this year are saying, no, we, we, we need a whole lot more than that. And the Seaway Management Corporation is pushing back and saying, you can't treat this like the automotive uh, sector where, where you have currently a, a number of other high profile negotiations on the go. Um, so that's really the sticking point. It's, it, it was pretty clear that the talks weren't moving forward that well. We got mm. a, we got a statement on Saturday morning from the, from the management corporation, from the employer, uh, saying that, you know, there had been very little progress. The union, I'm, I suppose, in a bid to be cute, was saying that they were a thousand nautical miles apart in, in, in negotiations. Um, so, yeah, that, that took effect at midnight on Saturday. And what's interesting here to me is the fact that the, the number of people work on strike is not actually that big. It's 360 people, and it ranges from engineers to administrators. But these are the people that keep the seaway open and the impact economically. Yes. You said this was a regional story, but I would I would argue that it's not. Because if you look at the, the numbers last year, the, the, the amount of cargo that moved through the St. Lawrence Seaway was evaluated at $16.7 billion. That was last year. So this is is a major economic artery, and it is now shut down. So even though it's it's... A limited impact in terms of numbers, and you look at that, you wouldn't necessarily think this is a major strike, but it has potential to be one for sure. Oh, definitely. I, th I think there's a broad conversation here because when you think the St. Lawrence Seaway, oh, that's the mouth of the St. Lawrence River. No, 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 no. It runs all the way to Lake Erie. So it runs through the oh, entire absolutely. river, all the way down to Lake Erie, through a major, as you say, shipping corridor, $16.7 billion of economic activity. And it makes me wonder about how this fits into the broader supply chain labor conversation, specifically in the context of the BC ports that has been a football that game kicked around and uh and corporations asking the federal government to intervene no kidding yes the, the the usual suspects that you would expect in something like this the canadian chamber of commerce the canadian federation of independent business um all these sorts of groups are, are very much sounding the alarm because of the bc port strike uh for those who don't remember that uh that was a, a, a much broader scale job action in, in the summer that shut down all the ports in British Columbia for for most of the month of July, really, even though the strike was only in effect for 13 days. But the, the fallout from that is significant. And all these business groups are warning that there's been so many disruptions between that port strike, this one now, still the COVID-related supply chain disruptions. Uh, We've seen labor unrest in all kinds of places. There, there's so many reasons why supply chains are vulnerable right now. And they're saying that this new job action from the St. Lawrence Seaway is yet another yeah. complicating factor. And they're very much pushing for the federal government to get involved.
Michelle, one more story here. Quebec University tuition, more reaction is coming in after Quebec's announced plan to double tuition for out-of-province students. This was a big topic on last Friday's news panel. Go check it out if you haven't listened already. Uh, now yes. with Dave Brown on your favourite podcasting platform, first hour of the show from Friday's show. But what's the update over the weekend in regards to the Quebec uh, tuition policy? Well, because we're always on the lookout for a good follow-up story in journalism, um, my colleague Thomas McDonald popped out to a Concordia uh, recruitment fair on Saturday just to get a feel for what the out-of-province students were thinking in light of this this announcement and the, the plan that is looks like it's still going ahead. And uh, not too surprisingly, but it was very clear, this is definitely having an impact on people's decision. There were lots of people at the fair still, they wanted to check it out. There's lots of interest in these English language universities in Quebec. Uh, but everyone Thomas spoke to indicated that it was going to be an insurmountable barrier either for them or for people they knew to attend these schools. Uh, there was one interview in which the the, the the son is it was there with his father. And he's saying, you know, if, if the province moves ahead with this plan, we probably won't be able to proceed. And the dad chimes and says, no, 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 we will definitely not be able to proceed. <laughs> Yeah, so, <laughs> that makes the, the realities of this very, very clear. I mean, the financial impact when, when tuition rights are, are going to double, essentially, for these people um, from what they were expecting. Yeah, that is going to throw a huge curve in your budget. And it, it's very clear people are, are being extremely upfront about the fact that this policy will absolutely have a, a real effect on their decision making. Like, like you said, Michelle, unsurprising, but still notable to bring in some of this reaction and a, a good follow-up on a story that, uh, that kind of snuck into the headlines late, late, like like 10 days ago, snuck into the headlines and just sort of continues to bubble and bramble for a couple days here. Michelle, sure thank you. Sure does. Yeah, Michelle, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you on Friday. Take care, Dave. Thanks very much. That's Michelle McQuig, Weekend News Editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up after the break, the Canadian, the Canadian Armed Forces put on a conference as part of their Soldier On program. Marco Pasqua was there and will share some takeaways from the event. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.